Well, we'll turn again this week to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Verse 33. You remember the story? These two men, we presume there were two men. Certainly one was a man. There's nothing to suggest perhaps the other wasn't, but um, there's nothing to suggest he was. But uh, <laughs> but in any case, they're on the road to Emmaus. And they had met with Jesus on the way. And he had told them all about himself. And we didn't have time to go through as many as I thought we might have had a chance to get through. But he expounded, he, he told them all the things about himself in the scriptures. We saw how he probably started writing Genesis and went all the way through Isaiah and everything. All the verses that related to his suffering and that he was coming. Even the fact that he was going to come riding on a donkey into, into the city. It's all there. They must have been amazed. And then he went in and he broke bread and they suddenly recognized who he was and he disappeared. And they had arrived in Emmaus to do some business obviously. And, but the business was forgotten about. Even though it was dark and it was dangerous, they just said, let's get back and tell the others that we have seen Jesus. And when they got back, the others had seen Jesus. And they started telling them, and saying, the Lord is risen and he's appeared to Simon. And they said, well, wait, he's appeared to us as well. And they started recounting what had happened. So, we go then to verse 36. And as they thus spake, telling all about what had happened, Jesus himself stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, why are ye troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, have ye here any meat? And they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written. Thus it is written. And thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send you the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endured with power from on high. Right. You can imagine the scene, can't you? 
They're all excited. They've both seen Jesus. They tell about Peter. And the wonderful thing about Peter meeting Jesus, Peter had denied his Lord. Peter had, with swearing and cursing, had denied Jesus three times while Jesus was being tried. I don't know. Never seen him. I'm not one of his. He cursed and swore. Then the cock crowed. And Peter remembered that Jesus had said before the cock crowed twice, Thou shalt deny me thrice. And he went out and he wept bitterly. And when Jesus appeared, do you know what he said? To, uh, on one of the occasions when he appeared after the resurrection, he said, go and tell my disciples and Peter. Wasn't that lovely? He said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Oh, how that must have thrilled Peter's heart. God, who, whom he had, oh, he had rejected, he had betrayed, but Jesus in his graciousness says, go and tell my disciples and don't forget, tell Peter as well. I go before you into Galilee and I meet you there. But that, that's just beside the point. And he appeared, it said here, to Simon. And they were all telling all about the wonderful things. And then Jesus suddenly appeared. And what did he say? Peace be unto you. Peace be unto you. They were excited with the fact but you know in verse 37 they were terrified and they were afraid and they thought they'd seen a ghost they thought this was a spirit that had suddenly come in you know people were, were like that were so hard to convince sometimes they were excited they were telling each other about how the Lord had appeared to them and when he did appear again they were terrified they were so confused. Many of peop people are like that today, aren't they? They like to talk about God. They like to talk about Jesus. But they sadly do not really believe in him. It's all just technical. He's a historical figure. He's a great prophet. He's a great teacher. But they don't know him. They don't know him. And that was nearly the situation here. They, they, they were saying about how wonderful it was that he was risen from the dead, but when he appeared, they didn't really believe it. But it's easy for us to look back and say, oh well, weren't they foolish? But it was an amazing situation. The last time they had seen him was, for the most of them, on a cross. Or being put into the tomb. But here, he appears to them. You know, if people won't recognize Jesus as Lord and Savior in this world, someday they will acknowledge him as Lord. But he'll be a judge. That's a sad thing. Every knee shall bow. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But it will be too late for a lot of people. And he'll be there as their judge. They thought they'd seen a ghost. 
There was another time, you know, when they thought that as well. Way back in Matthew, you have the story of Jesus and the, the, the apostles had gone out on the boat onto the lake at night and they were going to try and uh, go somewhere else and Jesus stayed behind and he was praying to his father. He spent a lot of time in prayer with his father and then he appeared walking on the water. Matthew 14, you'd see the story. The ship was being tossed about there was a storm on and the wind was contrary it was blowing the wrong way you sailors know all about that trying to with people in they'd arrived in foreign and they'd been trying to go to the sillies to gig racing and the, the wind was contrary so they'd come to foreign instead well that was the prayer they, 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 that was happening to the the disciples here they're in the boat and they were fishermen and they were having a rough time because the wind was blowing in the wrong direction and about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus comes walking on the sea. They saw him. They cried out for fear. They thought he was a ghost, a spirit. But Jesus says, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. When Jesus appears to people, he says, peace be unto you. It is I, be not afraid. He brings words of comfort. Peter, of course, said, well, Lord, if it's you, Lord, I, let me come and walk over to you. And Jesus said, come on. He got out of the boat. He started to walk on the water. Then he looked around, and he saw the wind and the storm and the rain and the... Oh, and he, he started to sink. So like you and me, we say, yes, Lord, we're going to follow you. And then we take our eyes off the Lord and we start to sink. It happens, doesn't it? If we don't keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. We must have to keep our eyes fixed on him. Otherwise we'll sink beneath all the temptations and all the, the evil in this world. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus pulled him up and he says, O ye of little faith, Wherefore didst thou doubt? Oh, doubt comes in. Doubting Castle. I don't ever read Pilgrim's Progress a long time ago. We used to have a, a guy who used to come to our children's uh, services and he had a magic lantern. Those are the days, not of these, none of these modern uh, videos and things. It was big old slides. He used to shove them in. And it was the, you know, I'm not that old, but I, <laughs> maybe I am. But, uh, you know, oh, Doubting Castle giant despair all these things that Christian ran against on his way through life doubt I may have doubts and fears my eyes be filled with tears and then a cloud of doubt may hide the light of day the clouds of sin may rise and hide my starry skies but just a little talk with Jesus clears the way that's true don't let doubts and fears block out the light and love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, Jesus came and he comforted and he, he, he tried to, to, to sort out these disciples. He said, peace be unto you, peace be unto you. And then he asked them two questions. If you look at verse 38, he asked them two questions. Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? 
two questions. Now they're just not, you know, they're just not ordinary questions here. Why are you troubled? Now they were troubled because they were confused, but he could see right into their hearts. And he saw in their hearts there was confusion. He says, what has taken away the calmness of your spirit? A few days before, Jesus had, just a few days, Jesus had said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not like the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. That's what he'd said to them, just before his crucifixion. And now, he finds them confused. He said, I told you to have peace, but I'll give you peace. But you're not trusting me. He says, there's inward turmoil inside you. What's wrong with you? And then he says, why do thoughts arise in your heart? Now the thoughts here are not just ordinary thoughts. What he's actually saying is, why are you deliberating and questioning what is true? They he knew what they were thinking. Is this Jesus? Is it really true that he has come here? Is this the truth? Have I, they were doubting, doubting him. And you know, doubts come in. But don't let doubts. The doubts come from Satan. Satan will try and make you doubt. But our faith, as I said earlier, is based on the word of God. I may have doubts and fears. They block out the light of day. Don't let them. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Trust in God and in his word. He knew their hearts and that they had doubts. They had a lot to take in. The resurrection of their Lord. And he said to them, listen, look at my hands and my feet. Handle me. Feel me. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood. He showed them his hands and his feet. And he ate the bit of fish and the honeycomb just to show them. He didn't need it, but he did it just to show them that he was true flesh and blood. You know, I skipped through a lot of verses, as I said last week. But one of the verses that I was going to say last week uh, was that in Psalm 16, verse 10, it says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, and this was pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ, neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. You, the Holy One, was the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't going to stay in the grave. He was going to rise again and his body was not going to decay like your body and my body will when it's put in the grave. It'll decay. Get away from that. But the body of the Lord Jesus Christ did not see corruption. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead, he rose bodily from the dead. That's why he could show them the marks of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And he could have shown them 
the mark of the sword that pierced his side. His body did not see corruption. Many people doubt that. Many in high authority doubt it. But that's what scripture teaches. Christ rose bodily from the tomb. His body did not corrupt. And with loving kindness he started to try and build up their confidence in him. And he goes on to explain. He says, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. Do you not remember? This is what I said to you. I said I would rise from the dead in three days. I said that all these things must be fulfilled, which Moses spoke about in the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. It all had to be fulfilled. And then in verse 45, and this is the secret, and then he opened their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Many people read the Bible and they read it like a book of literature. And it's, it's wonderful literature, the, the, the language people enthuse about, the, the language of scripture. But that's not why it was written. It was written so that you and I could understand it and get a glimpse of what God wants for you and for me in this world. And how does that come about? You know, in Scripture Union, they used to have a verse at the, the start of the notes and the Bible reading notes. There was a verse from the Psalms. And when you started to read your Scripture, read it. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. It's in the Psalms, 119. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. When we come to scripture, that's, that's what we should pray. That God will open our eyes. That we may see wonderful things in his law. In his book. And Jesus, it says, he opened their understanding. And unless the Holy Spirit opens our understanding, then we can only see what is written for our understanding in the Bible. Open our eyes, Lord. We want to see something in your word today. We want to learn something from your word today. Open thou mine eyes that I might behold wondrous things out of thy law. And that's what he did. He opened their understanding. And they began to see who he really was and what he really was and why he was there. They realized he was the son of God, that he had risen from the dead and that he was there to bring them peace and comfort. It's only when the Holy Spirit opens our understanding that we really can understand God's word and comprehend the scriptures. And then he goes on to say, and he said unto them, thus it is written. Thus it is written. That Christ should suffer, that he should rise from the dead on the third day, going to say anything about the third day but it was three days he wasn't crucified on a Friday he was crucified on a Wednesday uh, go into that again someday but it has to be three days and three nights that's the only sign that Jesus gave that he was the son of God he says as, the, as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale so shall the son of man be three days and three nights in the, in the, in the earth and 
It has to be, but let's, he repeats it here. And rise again from the dead the third day. Then he says repentance and remission of sins is going to be spread abroad and you're the ones who are going to do it. And we as Christians are the ones who have to do it these days. We're the successors to those early apostles who were commissioned to go and preach the gospel to every creature. And then he says, I'm going to send you the promise of the Father. Remember I told you, he said, before I, before I was crucified that I was going to send you the Comforter. The Holy Ghost was going to come into your lives. Well, he says, this is it. I'm repeating it again. I'm going to send the Comforter. Go and wait in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem until you receive the Holy Ghost. And then, the, of course, we know what happened. Pentecost arrived. The Holy Ghost came. And those men got power amazing power through the Holy Spirit to go out and proclaim the gospel. But just for a minute, I want to look at that fact. Jesus said, thus it is written. How much faith and trust he put on the word of God. This was the Son of God talking. And he was showing us that what is written in Scripture is there for our learning, for our understanding, and to put our faith and trust in. You know, there's an attack on Scripture these days. There's an attack on the Word of God. God will judge harshly those who disregard the Word of God, who take away from it, or who add to it. Paul writing to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.20 says, Keep that which is committed to thy trust avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science falsely so called which some professing have erred concerning the faith you will have a lot of people very learned people who will try and seek to disprove scripture through Paul says science falsely so called. Beware. Beware. I remember the reader down from the Anglican. He, he, he started to explain Psalm 24. A wonderful psalm. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. Wonderful psalm. But he didn't agree. He said science didn't agree with the second verse. For he had founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Then he went on to explain how wonderful the second half of the psalm was. Crazy. Subtly getting at scripture. You know, we had a creation seminar some years ago. And, and I had a letter from a chap who, who, who said that all the school children should be taught about the Big Bang theory. And, and, and wrote to me this letter complaining because we, we held this seminar on, on creation. And, and actually wrote a letter to the vicar about me. But you see, that, that creation, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save a, 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 an evolved monkey. He came to save man. 
And all around, we are having attacks on Scripture and the basis of Scripture. We cannot believe in the second Adam unless we believe in the first Adam. God created man in his own image. The, the theory of evolution and all is so evil. It's getting at the very root of our salvation. God created Adam in his own image. But beware of science, so-called. You know, I was reading something the other day. This, this booklet came in, written by, produced by a, a trust called the Latimer Trust. And I want to tell you the type of thing that is, is going about, and really this is very serious. It's, it's written about the Archbishop of Canterbury. And here's what he says about scripture. And he's writing about the book of Revelation. And he says that it is tightly written, pen driving into cheap paper, page after page, of paranoid fantasy and malice. Like the letters clergymen so frequently get from the wretched and disturbed. This is him talking about the book of Revelation. He goes on to say, The rantings of John the Divine about his theological rivals are part of the byproduct of the very vision of the living one that shows these ravings for what they are by showing the radical and unconfined purpose of God in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to say, we aren't, we aren't called to believe and endorse all they say, only to ask ourselves what we are taught here about the strangeness and sometimes the terror of the word of God to fragile minds. The rantings of John the Divine. That's what we're up against. That's what we're up against. The Archbishop of Canterbury. Now this is a book written by Anglicans about that. Because they're concerned. They're concerned. Thank God there are some who are concerned. But this is an attack on the Holy Word of God. It's, it's terrible. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is God-breathed. God breathed us. And as soon as we get away from the word of God, we're in trouble. You know, we have to separate ourselves from those who seek to bring down the word of God. Thank God there are people who are prepared to write books like that, to expose it to be careful you know the scriptures are full of warnings to separate ourselves keep yourselves unspotted from the world separate yourselves from error separate yourselves from people who are arrogant to assume that they know better than the word of God you know, this week we had a, a, an interesting thing. We had an acquaintance who, who goes to a church 
and they've been involved with Toronto. They've been involved with Morris Sorello, who sells handkerchiefs for the uh, 50 quid handkerchiefs to, to, to put on the, on the sick and things like that. Crazy, crazy things. And she, she believes that apparently that these things are wrong but says that God hasn't told her yet to get out of the church. You know the scripture is full of things to get, separate yourselves from evil like that. But for some reason she expects God to come down and tell her individually. It's arrogance. God has said, get, separate yourselves from these things. But there we are. You know, we have the same thing with, with, with people in the Roman Catholic Church. I, I've had it so often. The Scripture Gift Mission have a, have a guy on the board of, of, of their, on their council in London who's, who's a Roman Catholic and who believes that he should be in the Roman Catholic Church because he needs to try and convert people out of it. So he goes along to a church that every, every Sunday uh, eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ literally not, not just not just in theory they believe that in the bread and in the wine the, the, the very presence the holy presence of God is there and then they eat him I mean and, and, and this guy thinks he, he should be there God hasn't told him yet to get out God is not going to tell people individually to get out of things like that He's already said, separate yourselves from evil. I, I, I thought it was ironical the other day. It was just, I'd love to have asked somebody a question about it. With all the SARS thing, I saw with the SARS thing, they, they were worried about uh, handing the, the, the wafer to the, 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 the people in the chapel because they might infect it. But they really thought that out. What they're handing is actually the, the, the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what they're saying is he might he might infect them if they ate it. It's you know, keep yourselves on spotted from the world. I'm look, I'm going off the tangent. But Jesus said, It is written. It is written. He spoke to the men on the road to Emmaus and then confirmed it by saying, It is written. It is written in the prophets. At the very start of his ministry, the Lord Jesus Christ was tempted by Satan. You know the 40 days and 40 nights he spent in the wilderness. And Satan came and tempted him. He said, if you, if you do this and if you do that, what was Jesus Christ's answer every time? It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. It is written. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It is written. That's how he started his earthly ministry by basing his ministry on the written word of God. How did he finish his earthly ministry? Here he's saying again, it is written, it is written. Basing it totally on what was written in the word of God. How do we run our Christian lives? By what is written. Not by what man says, not by what tradition says, but it is written. So often, through his ministry, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. I will, it is written, I will smite the shepherd. You know, he based his whole ministry on the fact that it was backed up by the word of God. And that's the only way we can run our Christian lives. By, and how we behave and what we do and why we do it, it is because of what is written. The word of God. 
Who is the Word of God? The Word is the Lord Jesus. He was the living Word, and this is the living Word of God. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And this is the Word of God that will speak to us day by day. I can't emphasize that enough. It is written. Base everything on Scripture, not on what you think, and not on what I think. I wrote it down. Our Lord walked according to the written word. He lived in accordance with the written word. The scriptures were his guide and authority for what he did. Let us follow his example. For Jesus, there were no omissions and there were no additions. There were no innuendos. For us, it should be the same. Ah, but you say, you hear people saying it. We're not to make, take that literally. We don't take it literally. You're going too far. You know, when God told Joshua to walk around Jericho and then come back again, and then do the same the next day, that wasn't logical. It wasn't logical. But it was what his word said. And he did it. And eventually there was a fantastic victory when they walked around seven times the, next, the, the last day and shouted and all the walls fell down and God gave them a wonderful victory. Why? Because they had obeyed his word. Jesus going to Calvary. The Son of God going to Calvary to die didn't seem logical. But what a wonderful victory he obtained at Calvary because he obeyed his Father. That's why. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. And he bore our sins on the cross. What a wonderful victory. Because he obeyed his Father. He did it. It is written. It was written that he had to do that. And he did it. He obeyed his Father. You know, our prayer this morning is that God's Holy Spirit will open our understanding to understand everything that Jesus says in his word and God says in his word and that we may then get a glimpse of God in all his glory. Just in closing, you know, there's a wonderful Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year the King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon a throne and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. What a wonderful vision of God, didn't he? And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. The glory of the Lord. Isaiah saw this wonderful vision. And the voice was so vibrant it shook the building. And you know when he saw that vision of God, and when we see a vision of God and we see a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us, what effect does it have on us? Well, the effect it had on Isaiah was how sinful he was. How sinful he was. He says, woe is me. 
for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips because I've seen the glory of God. God, he saw God in all his glory and he realized how sinful he was. And then he touched his lips with the coal from off the altar. And then when he saw that, the second thing that he realized was that he had to go out in service for God. He says, whom shall I send and who will go for us, God said. And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. That's prophetic again about the Lord Jesus Christ, but to Isaiah it was very personal. Send me, Lord. God may not send you to India or Africa or Nigeria or any place, but he might send you to St. Austin or he might send you to Foy. Wherever he has placed you, make sure you obey and live your life because it is written in his word. Amen.